Leadership Show with Andy Peck. Welcome to The Leadership Show. I'm your host, Andy Peck. The plan, as always, is to have conversations that support us all as we seek to be an influence for good and for God where he has placed us. This week, I was keen to chat with someone in education who could speak about the challenges of the last year from a leadership perspective. If you are a parent, you may well have a new respect for the teaching profession as you've attempted to do what is called homeschooling. So I was pleased this week to chat with Karen Kerridge, the head of the Appleton School, a comprehensive school in Benfleet in Essex. Keen to know what she had found especially tough about the last 12 months and how heads like her are coping with the frequent changes that have come to schools during the COVID pandemic. I started by asking her when becoming a head teacher was part of her career path. I think it doesn't, you don't really have a career path to become a head teacher. It sort of evolves when you're on your uh, journey as a teacher. So um, I became a teacher quite a while ago now and uh, became a deputy head very early in my career. And uh, the headship then became vacant at the school where I was deputy head and thought, why wouldn't I apply really? Because I loved working in the school. I loved the community and loved working with the children there. Uh, so I've been head teacher here since 2004 now. The reason I ask is that some divorce management and leadership of a school from class teaching. You've obviously gone the more traditional route of class teaching first to eventually becoming a head. That's right, and I think it's really important that head teachers should know um, how to work in the classroom and get the right results from students in the classroom. Uh, so I do think it's an important grounding. Uh, and obviously you can have people who could do the accountancy role, you know, running a 10 million budget. Um, but you also need to have people who are also adept at being able to talk to children and work with children and get the most from children. It strikes me that a head teacher has a number of dimensions to their leadership. The leading of pupils, the leading of staff, as a leader in the community and as part of the board of governors. So how do you find each element and which do you find the easiest? I think all of those things require the same skills, but they're with different sets of people. So they require the skills of organisation, of communication, of leadership, um, being able to deal with people. Um, and I think they're all the same skill set, but you deploy them in different ways. Uh, so, you know, the skill set you deploy with students are very different to the skill sets you would deploy with adults. Uh, and similarly, you know, you mentioned uh, boards of governors. Uh, their role is to hold me to account, uh, whereas I hold other people to account to me. Uh, so it's a, whilst it's the same skills, um, the relationship is different. So just to give you uh, some context, you've got quite a large number of pupils and staff, haven't you? That's right. Uh, we're in a multi-academy trust, so we run two schools, um, and both of those schools are just under 2,000 students. Uh, so it is, you know, it's been responsible for 4,000 children uh, and also approximately 600 staff. Uh, and also the communities. So it's, you know, we don't stop with just caring for, for the child because the child is part of a family uh, and a family is part of a community. And certainly in the last year, um, you know, we've seen an extension of that work uh, in terms of uh, the response that the school has needed to have to the, the COVID pandemic. I was going to ask that very question. Uh, that is about the place of a school in the community and, and how you see things. 
Yes, I think a lot's put on schools in terms of, you know, oh, a school will do this. Um, and certainly last week we found ourselves are going to be responsible on in each of our schools for testing 6,000 students for COVID before the return, uh, which has been an organisational uh, challenge. Uh, but we have got that sorted now and we're in both schools, we're testing approximately 400 children a day. Um, so I do think, um, you know, schools are complex places. Uh, we teach, obviously, and that's the first thing that we do. Uh, but we're also part of a, a community where we have to have pastoral oversight for each other. Um, and that's really important uh, in terms of dealing with uh, challenges that some children might have, whether they're, you know, challenges within the family or challenges outside of the family. Uh, so we also run uh, in both of our schools a counselling service for children. We run uh, parenting classes for parents, uh, particularly in terms of how you manage the teenage years, which can be challenging for every parent uh, in terms of how they deal with their uh, different behaviour patterns which occur in the teenage years. Our primary responsibility is always in the classroom and that's where we've got to ensure that students get the best possible deal. Uh, my mantra is always that students go through the educational system once. We can't afford to get that wrong. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really important that everything we do um, makes and enables students to achieve the best they possibly can in the classroom and give them qualifications which will open doors for the rest of their lives. But, it, you know, paper qualifications are not the only things schools are responsible for. Uh, they're just part of the story. I'm interested in the kind of training you've had to take in order to be a head teacher. I understand it's quite extensive. In terms of being a head teacher, I mean, obviously, there's your degree. Uh, most head teachers have also got a master's degree in some, some form of uh, educational leadership or educational management, which obviously I have as well. And then also the vast majority uh, of heads also choose to do the National Professional Qualification for a Headship, uh, which is an, a practical course uh, aimed at supporting people either in the first few years of headship or indeed preparing people for the first few years of headship, depending on when staff actually take that qualification. Um, it's, it's also about developing those networks of people uh, a head teacher's job can be very lonely uh, because you you are someone that everybody comes to for answers. Uh, so you do need to have you know clear communication, good problem solving skills, but also a good supportive network uh, of colleagues who you can also run ideas through. Uh, so, for instance, um, locally there's a, a group of nine head teachers, and we regularly meet together. And uh, on Friday last week we had our meeting to talk about, first of all, how we were going to test the number of students we had to test over the next two weeks. And then secondly, how we were going to determine every single child's exam grade in every subject uh, this year, because actually that's now what teachers have been asked to do. Um, and it's not the same as what they were asked to do last year. Last year, they were asked to predict the grades they thought students would get. This year, they've been asked to provide evidence of the grades students are working at, and that's fundamentally different. So, you know, as a supportive group of colleagues to be able to talk that through and to look about how we'll, we'll run that across our nine schools, bearing in mind that it, just in this one school uh, with 300 children in year 11, 
uh, that's that's a maximum of three thousand grades before you you know before you add on the sixth form. So it is a big task which schools are engaged in and are beginning uh, and need to have um, all completed obviously by June this year. So those who think teachers have it easy with the long holidays need to think again. You you call, your colleagues are obviously under a great deal of pressure. There is pressure, um, but there's pressure on everyone in society in whatever role they're in, aren't there? I think the the difference, um, certainly with exams and testing, is that they've come in very late in the day for people to prepare for. So, you know, our exam boards and Ofqual are requesting that, you know, teachers use the most recent assessments and continue to assess. Now, all schools have their assessment calendars, and if you're going to continue to assess with year 11 and year 13, uh, you need to then redefine where you're testing other year groups because obviously there's a capacity issue for how much any one teacher can mark of, at one particular point. Uh, so whilst um, I, I do applaud the decision for uh, teachers to be determining a child's GCSE grades, that was the right decision this year, definitely the right decision. Um, but I don't think perhaps the general public know what the amount of work that goes on behind that. Karen, I was going to ask more general questions about the year we've just experienced. Obviously, the news outlets are keen to get more controversial comments from head teachers and the heads of teaching unions. So I'm not asking for a political comment, but just what the leadership challenge have been in the last year and how you have found it. I think probably the the most stressful issue has been the change of guidance at very late notice. Um, and you can't blame the government for that because they're reacting to a pandemic. So they can't historically plan for something. They've got to react to the situation they're in. Um, I do remember in, in December, uh, we were hit by the Kent variant of the COVID virus. So we had exceptionally high numbers of students and staff um, who either had the virus or had to self-isolate as a result of that. And um, perhaps my moment that I will live with me for quite a while was being phoned up on a Sunday by 31 different staff to tell me either they had caught the virus or they had to self-isolate. Um, and you just then begin to think, well, how am I going to run the school tomorrow? <laughs> You have to be able to plan at the last minute and to be able to react very quickly to changing circumstances. And that isn't normally how we react in schools. We, you know, we, we usually plan a year ahead. We have our development plan. We have the school calendar a year ahead. Um, but I think this year we've had to react very quickly to circumstances. And I, I guess that's the case in, in most areas, though. So I don't think we're probably any different. The only difference I would say for schools is then it impacts on, you know, in this school, 1,600 children, uh, 1,600 families, uh, in our other school, a similar number. Um, so it's the impact those decisions have. But, you know, whatever you think of the government decisions, um, they haven't had a roadmap to, to look at ahead of this pandemic. They've had to react at very short notice, uh, just as everybody else has had to uh, change their plans at the last moment. Has that meant some kind of online teaching? In my letter to parents, I remember writing that teachers are trained for four years to be excellent deliverers in the classroom. 
uh, and they've had four hours to learn to teach online. So <laughs> please be with them, uh, you know, bear with them. And there will be some initial problems and teething issues, but we will sort them out. Uh, we estimate that we have taught um, since January 30,000 lessons wow. online. Uh, so, you know, it gives you an idea of in a big school what that actually means. Yeah. Prior to January, prior to this lockdown, uh, we also did a hybrid model because we had so many students mm. self-isolating. Uh, so we had a teacher delivering in the classroom whilst also having their camera on online so that any students who were self-isolating could remote into the lesson and also take part, uh, thereby trying to mitigate against students falling behind other students. So, you know, it has been a challenge, but as I say, we have taught over 30,000 lessons uh, online since January, which I think is a, and that's every, you know, most secondary schools in the country, so, which is an amazing achievement and something that we should celebrate. Carol, I understand that you're a head teacher who is asked to help schools that are struggling. So maybe you could speak a little bit about that. Um, yes, I am a national leader of education and occasionally we're asked to go and help other schools in difficulties, uh, you know, that may be as a result of perhaps a head leaving very suddenly, uh, it might be as a result of exam results not being good enough, or it may be as a result of um, a poor Ofsted judgment. Um, and it's about getting into a community quickly and being able to establish uh, calm first, uh, confidence as well. Uh, so to, to be calm about taking on a new challenge, uh, but also to be confident about what is needed and to have a plan for how that can be developed, working through obviously stuff that you don't necessarily know because you're going into a different educational environment. You're obviously the kind of person who's up for a challenge because many people would run a mile from that kind of situation. I have to say, being a head teacher in the last year has certainly been a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you bring your faith to work with you, and I'm sure you've been... Uh, praying during this pandemic but what do you see the role of as a, a christian head or a christian in the workplace yeah certainly i mean certainly in our church and um, we have the the model um that you're um a gathered church on a sunday and you're a scattered church the other six days of the week so whether mm. that's in the home whether it's in the office whether it's in a school whether it's in a factory whether it's in a shop uh then you're uh, the ambassador in the, in that place, wherever it might be. And I don't think a, a school is any different from that. Um, I think, you know, we, we take our faith with us wherever we work. Um, and, you know, it's, it's about, church isn't just about Sunday, it's about every day of the week. Perhaps you could give your thoughts on your perception of school-based ministries and, you know, charities who perhaps seek to lead assemblies and RE lessons and that kind of thing. Uh, obviously, schools are not a place for proselytisation, so it's important for schools' ministries to get the balance right? Um, certainly, you know, we have assemblies in normal times in schools. I mean, obviously, in the last year, uh, we have had online assemblies rather than uh, physical assemblies for obvious reasons. Uh, we don't gather together 300 students in a year group anymore. Um, and those assemblies in every school should have a Christian content to them. I mean, that's the law uh, of the land. Um, but it's about getting, they have a Christian focus, 
but it's about getting the balance right because you know we're, we're not in a christian school here we're in a state comprehensive school uh, and there are lots of different things who come to this school um, and it's about actually making sure that for, for children they're taught about everything uh, and certainly our, our e-programme has that great depth within it. Uh, and in terms of having workers within schools, um, we tend to have people in roles within schools rather than workers within school. Uh, so, for instance, um, you may have somebody attached to a church uh, who is perhaps one of our counsellors or one of our mentors or a volunteer, rather than a role to promote their faith, which wouldn't be appropriate in a school. If you could go back to when you started teaching and compare it to today, do you think it's tougher today than 20 to 30 years ago to be a teenager? Definitely. Absolutely. And the main challenges, um, probably the main challenge, would be social media. Right. Uh, and I would say that the vast majority of issues we pick up with students or about things that have been said on social media by other people um, and how that makes someone feel, how that makes someone react, how they have reacted. Uh, so that's very different to 30 years ago uh, when I was beginning my teaching career. Uh, and, and that would be the main fundamental difference uh, today. And social media can be a force for good, but when it's used inappropriately, that can also... Um, be a force which hurts people um, and you know people think they can get away with saying things online that they wouldn't dream of saying in person and uh, it's very much about teaching students that that isn't appropriate so um, at, at our schools we have a really good e-safety program uh, which makes students aware of the impact their comments can have on others but also protects them online as well it's very easy for a student to give the, to end up talking to someone they don't know and give their details away. And there is a, a, a real issue of child protection in that arena as well, um, which it would be inappropriate for me to discuss, but um, every head teacher will have picked up numerous cases, uh, which are quite serious child protection issues as a result of social media. And you simply wouldn't have, wouldn't have got any of that 30 years ago. And do you think the, the, the role of a teacher has become tougher for those reasons and also because of the, you know, the, the spotlight that, that teachers seem to be under, um, both by parents as well as the rest of society, in a way perhaps where 20, 30 years ago a teacher was more respected uh, than they are today? You know, you can talk about the problems um, and there are problems in any role, but it's also a privilege to work with children. Um, and yes, there are problems, but there are problems that we need to overcome. But it's also a great privilege to be working with young people and shaping their lives and mm. helping them determine what their future will be, helping to determine what the community uh, impact of their choices are. So I, I think, you know, everyone can say, oh, life is getting harder. But also we've got a great privilege of working with uh, and and moulding a future generation. How many people have got that opportunity? That's great. Great to hear. Um, so, I mean, if you were able to influence our approach to secondary education as a nation, you know, say you had a, I don't know, a cabinet role or something, you know, would, would there be particular things that you think, actually, this isn't working in our education system and, and it would be better if 
if we had this kind of approach? Um, it's difficult to say that if, if something isn't working in a, our education system, mm. but there are some things which could be further developed. Okay. Um, so I'd say children and young people's mental health strategy uh, is very much determined by your locality and how much money is put into those services locally. And perhaps that might be a challenge to have a national agenda on that. Um, obviously, Marcus Ratchford has made it very clear about uh, free school meals and children living on the poverty line. Uh, one of our schools has 50% of their children on free school meals. Wow. Uh, so you can imagine um, just the logistics of getting the support to half of a school community when the size of the school is 1,600 students to have, you know, to be supporting 800 students and to think through what that means, living in poverty, and what that means for children. Uh, you know, both of our schools have issued over 200 laptops to young people over this present lockdown since January, and they're people who are uh, digitally disadvantaged uh, in an age where, you know, you need to know how to use digital media for a number of different uh, purposes in education, uh, but also in terms of employment skills as well. Uh, and I think perhaps, you know, the accountability framework for schools, particularly secondary schools, which are very narrow, uh, they focus on what's called Progress 8, which is a figure which tells you how well your school is performing. Uh, but it doesn't look at all of the other things which a school does. You know, um, my school offers 100 extra extracurricular activities every week, but it doesn't measure that. It doesn't measure the well-being of children, the joy children have about going to school. It's, it's a very reductive measure. And I would say that perhaps we need to look at more indicators of a school being successful than just a, a raw number. Sure. Well, it's, it's fascinating and and to chat with you, Karen, and, and to sense your enthusiasm for your work. And um, if I may, I, you know, I think it's appropriate just to, to say thank you on behalf of listeners for folk like yourself who are, you know, in, this, in the key role that they are, educating a generation for the future. So um, uh, well done and thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Um, appreciate, appreciate your time today. Yes, thank you. And, and obviously, I, I think perhaps that... that thanks needs to go to all people who work in schools, not just teachers, but also support staff who've taken on so many different roles during this pandemic, whether it's been delivering laptops to students, free school meals to students, uh, organising testing uh, in school. Everybody is stepping outside of their normal rule to make sure that all students are safe and successful. So I think whilst the head teacher might formulate the plan, uh, you couldn't you couldn't activate your plan without all of the staff working in your school, and that's down to every single person: your teachers, your associate staff, um, who all are working together for the good of every child on our school sites. Well, well said. Thank you very much. It was a great joy to chat with Karen Kerridge, and if you are in teaching, I hope you found it inspirational. Of course, our influence is massive, and we must pray for folk who we know, like Karen, who connect with the lives of so many. 
but none of us are without influence, and whether you have a leadership title or not, your life counts before God, as you do the mundane and the magnificent with him in mind. I like the words of the Apostle Paul, which I sometimes quote from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So may the week ahead be an abounding week. And if you've enjoyed today, why not search through the archives uh, and find other shows by going to Premier's website. Uh, many of the shows may be under the old title of The Leadership File. If you're listening via the podcast, of course, your podcast provider will have uh, some archived shows t- to choose from too. So until next week, let's use our influence well. The Leadership Show with Andy Peck. To get in touch, email andy.peck at premier.org.uk. 